In this podcast, Pamela Branchick talks to Sue Scheinflug, the chairperson at Brisbane Diamantina Health Partners. What was your first job out of university and how did it shape your future career path? My first full-time role out of university was a, a teaching role. I was primary school trained but ended up through a series of circumstances teaching in the TAFE sector and had an opportunity to work with a team where we were developing a bridging course. It was a new course uh, aimed at really targeting young people who weren't fitting quite well into the high school system. And so we were putting them on a vocational pathway into the, the TAFE sector and experimenting with the course, writing the course at the same time and um, attracting some federal government funding for, for that course. So it was a a teaching role, um, but in a new uh, new and emerging area of, of education. I think the biggest way it influenced or shaped my future career path was that it gave me a really unique exposure to not only the frontline, um, you know, teaching every day and teaching a great group of kids that um, whilst challenging in, in lots of ways, I really did fall in love with them. So exposure to the front line, but also at the same time, that exposure and experience in working in how the funding models work, how trials work, how, you know, that whole sort of reporting, the continuum of government funding flowing through to change the way that we do services or you know, deliver, in this case, an education program how those mechanisms work and that's really stayed with me throughout my my career since then it was really valuable experience yeah and it's quite amazing Sue that it just kind of it's not something you sought out that it no it, it, that it, it just it evolved um it was an opportunity and yeah I'm very grateful for that for that opportunity mm. you played a part in the change from Medicare locals to primary health networks what was it like transitioning these organisations and how has the change impacted the community? What was it like? It was hard. I came into the Medicare locals, I think they'd been in existence for a year um, and I was only there a, a, a year or so later and the decision was made to make the transition to, to primary health networks. So in my view, the Medicare locals were still finding their feet um, so it was, it was a really difficult and, and challenging time. The Medicare local that I had leadership of was one of the, the few Medicare locals that didn't transition into a primary health network. So we literally had to um, to wind it up and hand over um, the assets of that organisation to a, a brand new organisation. It was it was challenging most of all for the people in the organisation and that was my priority through that process to care for them and make sure that um, that change in their lives happened in the most positive way possible. I think that in terms of the impact on community, it was disruptive because the Medicare locals were only fairly new into the transition. They had a history prior to that in a sort of divisions of general practice model you know, there was a lot of investment in the governance from the divisions era into the Medicare local. So 
there was a lot of politics around those transitions into the, the, the primary health network. And I think for stakeholders such as general practice and other allied health professionals and hospitals and health services, it was disruptive because it was confusing um, and it probably set the agenda around better joined up services between primary, secondary and tertiary care back by a year or two. To their credit, the PHNs have done a, a great job um, to pick up those reins and, and are making good progress. But it, in my view, is a classic example of change management, <laughs> which was driven at a, at a political and policy level that really did have a, a disruptive impact on the ground in local communities. Very interesting. I'm sure there were lots of takeaways for you kind of re to reflect on in future positions that you've held or future situations. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the biggest impact was actually leading the team through that, that process. And, and, you know, as the CEO, having to um, keep them informed all the way, you know, People aren't silly. They know what's going on. And, and being open and transparent as a leader was so important, not trying to sort of, you know, make it softer or seem something other than what it was. And literally being there till the end, you know, being the last one out of the building and, and turning the, the lights off was really important to me. When you were recruiting for a senior executive to join your team, what are the key attributes you look for in a person, apart from technical skills and experience? I look for values-based leadership for people who have good levels of self-awareness and self-management, so not only resilient, but uh, that emotional intelligence. So being able to have a sense of achievement and, and optimism and uh, an openness to, to learning and, and working as a, a team. I also look for people who are different to me. A wise one of my um, mentors said to me years ago, you know, always be careful of employing yourself, Sue, because we do like to do that. Um, you, know, you fall in love with someone who, who mirrors your, your values. So I've, I've always been very um, conscious of ensuring that the people in a, a team are diverse and bring different skills and ex experiences to the, the group and I'm aware of where my strengths and uh, weaknesses lie and I try and supplement that in the, the team ar around me. So it's, that's exactly what you said, having that self-awareness and you too mm. have as a leader. Mm. Um, Definitely. And I suppose that openness to learning as well because you can learn from people who you bring into an organisation, well, hopefully. That's right. It, you know, I know... Um, I score very high in terms of diligence and, you know, being accountable. Um, my scores around creativity and innovation aren't as high in, in those areas. So, you know, when I'm building a, a team, I like to have people who are more risk-taking um, than I am, who are more creative and, and innovative. And, you know, that's good. I can be challenged by that and together we'll, we'll get more things done and, and more things happening. Yeah, yeah. What was your first board position and how did you get the role? My first board position was as a member of the board of the Sunshine Coast Regional Development Australia Board. 
um, and that was while I was working in a not-for-profit on the Sunshine Coast. I got that role because I applied for it. Um, and I, I think in terms of my experience and knowledge of the local community, I was able to demonstrate that quite well in being appropriate um, to be a member of that board. Were you specifically looking for board positions or were you just looking for other opportunities? It's a good question. No, I wasn't, but I was really passionate about the community that I was working in. I was uh, deeply involved in the not-for-profit sector, supporting um, frontline staff to do their work in areas of homelessness, education, um, mental health. And I saw the RDA again as that opportunity to raise awareness in other sectors around the social needs and the social services and sectors in our community, um, as well as the economic and environmental issues. Thank you. What are the benefits and challenges of working in a board position? I think the benefit is that you, in a good board, you really get to work as a team. Each board member brings with them, you know, different background, different skill sets and experiences. And, you know, through the leadership of a, a good chair, all of that comes to the, the board table, either in a meeting or outside the meeting when you're doing other work. And so that, that for me is the thing I enjoy most um, about being a, a part of a board. The challenge of being on a board member, and um, this is something that I feel, you know, I quite I feel quite strongly about and I try to monitor in my own behaviour as a board member, is ensuring that my input and contribution is meaningful to the leadership of the organisation. It's really easy sometimes to fall into that habit of being um, a scrutinising role and over-questioning and sort of becoming a compliance police person <laughs> in a board role as opposed to an enabling person for the leadership. So striking that balance of making sure that, you know, you are paying attention to the responsibilities of compliance from a governance perspective, but you're not getting in the way of the leadership of the organisation. You're actually adding value to them. That's definitely one of the challenges. Mm. Mm. You now work on boards across a variety of different types of organisations. Do you think there are key differences in board management across different sectors? Definitely. I think in some sectors, for example, one of the boards I'm on is a hospital and health service. There are very specific regulatory and legislative requirements which, um, you know, shape the way that we govern as a board in that sector. Another board I'm on is more in the disability support services area. So, that also shapes the way that, that we govern. There are, however, principles which are common to all boards in terms of you know, good governance, being accountable, um, respectful, uh, and ensuring that you always have a line of sight or a way to engage with the people that you're actually um, there to serve and, and support. Diversity is becoming a prominent issue. Have you seen the companies and boards that you are working with evolve and manage these issues? To varying degrees. I think um, where it's specifically mandated, it's much easier to bring it to the table and have those discussions. Where it's left to the board to sort of self-regulate in that area, it sometimes takes a few brave board members to 
ask the questions, make sure it's included in proper re um, board review processes as well. So it, it can vary. What, for me, one of the questions that I will ask myself is if we were to make this decision with a slightly different group around the table or if there was a different diversity around the table, would the decision or the outcome of the decision be different? And I think that for me personally is a good way of reflecting on the, the diversity issue around a, a board table. Have you noticed through your years on being on board that more women have been included on boards or is it still a major issue that there's a, a big imbalance and is it reflected in different sectors? I think it's it's much better now. I think I see that it's not even a question anymore in terms of have we got enough women on the board? It's they're there and um, they are making a difference. And I think sometimes if there's only one or two women on a board and there may be you know more than ten board members, so the rest being being male, it can be harder to to have a voice. Again, that's really you know up to having making sure that there's a good chair who's very inclusive in that way. I think women bring such unique emotional intelligence to governance and it's really important. Agree. <laughs> what are your top tips for aspiring leaders? Definitely get in place one or two really good mentors that stay with you that you can go to as trusted advisors and sounding boards that will tell you honestly, you know, what you might not want to hear, but what you perhaps need to, to hear. And, you know, those, those people travel with you. And I've been really fortunate to have a couple of people in my life like that. So it really does make a, a, a big difference. I think also being open to opportunities, you know, in terms of aspirations around leadership it's not a linear process um, sometimes you might take a left turn or what might seem perhaps a bit of a u-turn in some career decisions but always there's um, you know newfound opportunities in every decision that you make definitely stay grounded be aware of sometimes in leadership it's easy to get seduced around the sort of level of the position that you're at or the you know the budget responsibility that you might have um, that's not what holds you there in terms of if you're really you know enjoying the the role so keep try and keep both feet on the ground and make sure and this sort of goes to the same point that you really believe in the work that you're involved in and that you're leading that it aligns to your values that you have a genuine relationship Otherwise, you'll never truly experience that really good sense of satisfaction of leading people and, and being part of an important team. Mm. 